Hi, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. And today we are joined by Liam Martin. Hello, Liam. Welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to be here. And more importantly, I am so happy that I can say bullshit on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, you are free to say any swear words you like at any point. Oh, thank God. All right, let's let's do, let's really get into it then. So normally uh, we like to do these in person, uh, Liam, but rather apt for the conversation at hand, we are, you are, where, where are you right now? I'm in my closet. You're in your closet in any particular yeah. country? Yeah, my shower's right behind me. And uh, more specifically, I'm in Montreal, Canada, French Montreal Canada. Montreal, Canada. The one with the French people. Is that just because you want to make clear that your your flat or house is bigger than just the room you're in? <laughs> no, uh, th- that is actually, so for me, I think that it's a really important learning for everyone to recognize that you can run a billion dollar company from your closet. Well, let's 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 ju- let's just start at the beginning. So, you're co-founder of something called uh, Running Remote. Um, tell us about that. When did you set it up? Sure. So, I have a couple other tech companies as well, Time Doctor and Stuff.com. And Running Remote is what I like to call my dessert business. Started that about six years ago, and I really had this big issue, which was. Remote companies at that point had a lot of chips on their shoulders. A lot of them were kind of either lifestyle businesses or places where you kind of wanted to be a digital nomad. And there were no examples of people building billion-dollar companies. And I realized we really wanted to change that. So we started a conference specifically with that thesis in mind. How do you build a billion-dollar remote-first company? And that was a really weird notion five to six years ago. Obviously, in 2020, all of that changed and running remote went from a very small conference of about a thousand people to we get 30 to 40,000 people that come to the conference every year. Wow. Is it, is it predominantly tech businesses or is it all kinds of businesses? It is now everything. Uh, I had a really interesting chat with a guy at one of the last running remote events. He puts down concrete foundations in Chicago. And he has a team of 80 people and 40 of them are remote because the logistics company, you don't actually need to have them located in Chicago in order to be able to actually put together all of the bureaucracy of uh, what his firms are doing to be able to lay out these foundations. So almost everybody now can be remote to some degree. What's what's the driver behind this? Do you think that all companies should be remote or you're just trying to sort of prove that you don't have to be? I mean, what you've got, you've got some like thing that happened to you that you're kind of like, fuck being in an office or something. What's going on here? Yeah. Offices suck. Offices suck. You have not been to our office. Well, no, no. Offices don't suck all the time. Well, no, explain that a bit more. Do you, is that, is that what you feel that environment, environments with other people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with is some of them are wankers? Is that, what do you mean? Yeah. So, I mean, in the UK and Canada and the US, we don't have things like arranged marriage. Um, those are generally not thought of generally accepted concepts in the Western world, but we seem to have arranged friendships which are these people that you're put in the same place with eight hours a day, every single day. And that's where you build your social connections. And for me, I just realized that that's not the way I want to be able to live my life. I want to be able to actually build my social network and then my work network and keep those two things separate. And it's interesting because it's also true, certainly in the UK, I think, that you are expected to get on with whoever you happen to be put in a room with. And it's kind of like a black mark against you if you don't. You know, that you, you're expected to be polite you're, with other yeah, humans. You're, you're yeah, mean, or you're but you're just expected that, yeah. to just work really well with whoever, you know, work 
in an office with other people the whole time. And, you know, sometimes like the other um, corporate partner, I'm a corporate partner, the other corporate partner, Simon, both of us are incredibly loud. Yeah. You put us in a room together, that really doesn't work because neither of us can hear ourselves speak on the phone because the other one's so loud. But you, 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 the, <laughs> the interesting point you're saying within that, Liam, is is that the bit that really, the, the thing that really bothers you is hanging out, it's hanging out with people that I don't have, you know, I, I can't choose my family or my work colleagues effectively. You know, it's it's sort of, that's 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 the biggest bugbear or the biggest issue that drove this because this is all sort of pre-COVID. So as you say, it was going on, but it's clearly a passion of some kind. So it wasn't necessarily just the negatives towards the office. It was more the positives of being remote that really drove me. So as an example, I travel six months out of every year. Um, There are friends of mine that travel full-time every single kind of month. They're in a different location. All of the team members inside of our organizations can also do the same, and about half of them do. We allow ourselves to be able to be disconnected from time and space as it applies to work. And that provides a lot more freedom in my life. Like right after this podcast, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to have lunch with my three-year-old daughter, um, who I think should be back in about an hour and a half. And then after that, probably we're going to go for a walk and then I'm going to go back to work for about five or six hours. And that type of lifestyle is something that I think is much more amenable towards a less stressful, more positive mindset as it applies to work. Yeah. And and effectively, the tyranny of travel, I mean, I think you give a great example there, three-year-old daughter. I mean, I've got a three and a one-year-old or whatever. And it was, you know, for me, what happened during COVID, like probably you for your business, it was somewhat a gift because I wouldn't have really seen my kids grow up, but I did. And therefore that, you know, as I explained to some of the partners, I was like, the value I put on that, if if you if you put me again in the same position before they go to school, you know, there's kind of no price that you could offer me if you wanted to take that away from me entirely. You know, now I've now now I've experienced, you know, seeing your kids walk or whatever it is, or being there for those 10 minutes here or 10 minutes there, which are really valuable time. I mean, that's 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 sort of whatever the other disadvantages are, that's such an upside that, you know, I'm I'm willing to 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 take on some of the disadvantages of it. Let's wind the clock back and go to your first proper job. Oh, that was uh selling water coolers door to door. That was a horrible that job. Sounds but bad. Uh, I, I did that, <laughs> that yeah, really I did bad. that for four months. Did you have like a, a booklet showing all the best <laughs> water coolers? Yes. There were only two models. And the thing that was incredibly frustrating is they were twice the cost of what you could just literally buy them in Walmart or Costco, but we were still trying to sell them door to door. Did you ever sell uh, any? And we were selling them on oh, I sold a lot. Um I actually was the top salesperson. And the reason why was I discovered instead of selling to individual homes, I could go into an office building and I could sell 40 water coolers. And this was great for me. I immediately became the top salesperson. Um, So long story short, basically I started selling them to businesses. And then the company that I was working for said, you can't sell to businesses. We only have contracts for individual consumers, right? Individual households. And I was like, that's so stupid. I'm literally working one day and I'm selling as much as I can sell in a month. And they said, oh, no, you got you to gotta do it the way that we want you to do it. And so I said, okay, fine. And I just started, instead of actually selling one contract for 40 coolers, I would fill out 40 separate contracts and they caught me within a month and then I was fired. 
you're an unusual lad. Uh, <laughs> are you from a big family out of interest? You've got lots of brothers and sisters. I got one brother, one younger brother. He's actually an actor and he is uh, shooting Outlander right now. No way. Oh, wow. So you're the failure in the family then, it sounds like. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Everyone pays attention to my younger brother, not me. Well, Outlander, I really love Outlander, actually. It's- <laughs> That's it. The books yeah, are like, insanely. Oh, I, I built a hundred million dollar company, but yeah. my brother's an Outlander, yeah, I mean, and then it's just you know, it's fifteen big. minutes about Outlander, <laughs> or like, hey, I just got a Wall Street Journal bestselling book uh, last week. Yeah, but Brennan's an Outlander. If you wanna, so. if you wanna make it, make yourself feel better, I got really bored after series two, and I haven't watched any of it. So I'm sure loads of people have not watched. <laughs> my it. brother starts in series six, I think. Yeah, she okay. will not so. see your brother yeah. ever. Yeah. He will not exist. What's your biggest fuck up? Oh, I mean, how long do we have? Uh, the biggest fuck up for me is uh, not actually charging for my software early enough. So we were free for about a year and a half and we were so terrified about going to a paid model because we thought that we would lose a whole bunch of users that we were collecting data off of. And we recognized that we were collecting data off the wrong people, which is never pay attention to someone that's using your software or service for free because they give you the wrong advice. They tell you to do the wrong things. So when we switched over, we had 10% of our customers that actually continued on and paid with us. But the amount of hours, the, the interaction with the software, 10x off of that. Yeah, yeah. That's so true in life. It's it, people really, you know, they don't value stuff otherwise. And and, and just briefly, because I don't think we've even explained it. What what is exactly the software do? So it's time tracking for remote workers. Literally, we have um, technology that allows you to be able to, we kind of call it Fitbit for remote work or for work in general, which really tells you, okay, you've actually been working too long and you're working on weekends and you might have a chance of burning out. We use a lot of machine learning to be able to figure that stuff out. Ah, okay. So there's competitors in that space. There's been sort of employee tracking software for a while around it's in that space just to be clear yeah yeah there has but i mean to be honest with you the majority of that market is secret tracking meaning they don't actually tell the employee about it and they don't give the employee their data uh we take the reverse which is we want to be able to show you the information so that you as an employee or just regular users that aren't working for a company use it as well so you can actually become better at your job and more efficient. Yeah, okay. What's it called? Time Doctor. Time Doctor. Okay, so that's great. So then, which, which takes up most of your time? The conference is like the Friday job and the software is the four-day-a-week job, is it? Or you're doing multiple, multiple things? Yeah, I mean, at this point, to be honest with you, um, I just changed my role because I just I used to be the CMO, and now we've hired out a CMO and a CRO. So uh, I like to call myself Captain Sparkles because I just kind of float around to people and uh, kind of sparkle in and see what the hell is going on with them. But the real technical term for who I'm supposed to be in the tech world is chief innovation officer, which is someone that only pays attention to what's going to happen in the next 36 months. So what's going to happen in the next 36 months is what I should focus my energy on and not pay attention to what's going to happen in the next quarter, the next year, those types of things, which is very counterintuitive, but it actually pays off for the vast majority of people that try to implement But is everything in one business sort of, or these separate businesses? Because you're saying- They're all separate businesses, but between me and my business partner, uh, we all own 
the same percentage of each of those separate businesses. Okay. And so you're now chief innovation officer of all of these things. Of all of these things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which all just kind of connects to, as I said before, remote work, which is our mission. How are you making money? You're selling software and then you, you pay to go to the conferences. So those are sort of primary sources of income. Yeah. So software, particularly SaaS businesses are incredibly profitable. They're slow to start, but once you actually get them off and running, they have this escape velocity that almost no other business strategy or plan or type has. It's it's absolutely amazing. Because you're printing, well, it's like music, to be honest. If you get a hit record, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. It's just, it happens. Yeah, if you're a SaaS business, like, let's say you're doing more than $10 million per year and you have a churn rate of below 2% and a growth well, rate of 40%. that's the golden ratio, isn't it? That's when everyone turns up with yes. their checkbooks, basically. So you'll be a billion-dollar company within three years. Okay, so you just need the, the good piece of SaaS software to make that happen, right? It's yeah. bloody tricky. <laughs> you, just, bloody tr- <laughs> you just need that, right? Like uh, That took us uh, about 10 years to do. We're it's 13 years 10 old now. Years. So. I'm glad you said 10 years. Everyone's, I, I always say people want to do it in two or three years. It's 10 years. Every time anyone gets anywhere. So one of my uh, mentors is Tobias Lutke, who runs Shopify. And I've known him for almost 20 years. And everyone thinks that Shopify is this overnight success. And he said, yeah, it's a beautiful 22-year overnight success. You know, it's just like you look at these types of companies and you realize there was a process that started at the very beginning where, you know, the very first month we generated $6,000 a month as a company. Now we're doing millions and millions and millions of dollars per month as a company. It's just compound interest. And as long as your customers like it, your business will continue to grow. Uh, what do you think is most uh, uncomfortable about uh, being in business? Oof, Ed, I have a saying, which is you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And generally that floats around uncomfortable conversations. So the most uncomfortable part of business is you think that something's going to work. I, I had this great chat with somebody a couple weeks ago. Everyone thinks that everyone's great the first three months that they hire them. Right. Oh, this, you know, no one's like, oh man, that guy's a disaster. (laughs) Right. The first month, but then 18 months later, everyone's in that trough of despair, which is, oh man, you know, this is a great guy, but we got to get rid of him. Yeah. yeah. Um, And those are really, really difficult conversations. I would also say to your point previously, moving from an entrepreneur to an executive, very, very few entrepreneurs make that transition. Yeah. And that is, and paying paying attention to people like you and saying, hey, you actually need to pay attention to this. Like, you think that this is a 1% problem, but this is a 20% problem risk issue. And you need to be, to be able to address it immediately is something that very, very few entrepreneurs do because they have a very high level of risk tolerance. And that high level of risk tolerance is super valuable when you start a business, but it actually becomes your worst enemy as you scale that company. But also, and also it's the big picture thing. A lot of entrepreneurs are quite big picture people. And with professional services, yeah, we can give advice, but uh, you know we have to take instructions and get people to tell us what they want to do and get people to answer the questions about their business. Because, you know, I don't know as much about their business as they do. And quite often entrepreneurs are really hard to pin down to actually say, look, tell me these five things. 
I agree. Entrepreneurs have got to have a high risk tolerance because it's madness, frankly. The whole thing is madness a lot of the time when people quit their jobs and, you know, it's just jumping off a, a building. You know, they've got very little chance of surviving. The wind could catch them or something. But, I, you 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 know, something Pippa's passionate about is there's not enough women entrepreneurs. I know testosterone gives you, like, confidence and risk. Like, men are more risky ride up to our testosterone. So I do wonder this basic point that there's less women entrepreneurs because they are less risk tolerant. And I mean, and it's such a generalization, but that is, you know, there is there is some pattern of behavior about that. We're fucking idiots, basically. It, it, to me, and I wouldn't say this on other podcasts, but I'll say it on this one, which is a po- somewhat politically incorrect. I think the vast majority of what men are doing is the end point is try to impress women. Generally, yeah, that's so true. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like I'm going to build this. Look at my plumage. I have yeah, this yeah, big company, right? You're peacocking, right? It's like I have this company. I have this car. I have this house. I have all of this wealth, and I think that's actually the biggest motivator. Uh, my wife is an entrepreneur, and one of the things that I find so frustrating is she's doing about a half a million dollar a year in her company, and it's very successful, and it could be doing five million a year. And I keep trying to like, and now I'm almost, I don't discuss it with her because I get too frustrated. I'm like, oh, if you just make these four changes, you could do 5 million a year. And she's like, you mean if you just, if you just want to mansplain to her exactly what she's doing wrong? Well, uh, more specifically, <laughs> she responds with saying, yeah, but that would require that I work 14 hours a day, which I'm not prepared to do. Uh, I'm very happy working eight hours a day and and making good money that way. And so that's a different vision towards what you want. Your music thing is the ma- the thing the man does to impress the woman always lands up the thing we have to do in the shed that they don't want to know about anymore. So we like play guitar and we get the woman and then they're like, oh, fucking go to the shed, just leave me alone. And it becomes this really annoying thing later in the relationship. Your job, oh, that big business, go in the shed and shut up. This feels up. very personal now, Andy. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> like It's like the thing we do to impress them, it always ends up like, you know, I ride motorbikes. Now you're in the shed fixing motorbikes, stay out of the house. Anyway. And, you know, one of the biggest risks that women take is taking a chance on idiots. I was thought you could say having a baby. That's a pretty risky well, yeah. thing, you know, but, you, know. That, you know. Taking a chance on idiots. Yeah. What, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the hardest thing you do in your job, would you say? And, and how do you deal with it? Uh, going back to letting people go. Because fundamentally, that's my failure. So those are always synchronous conversations. Uh, just because we run asynchronous management doesn't necessarily mean that we don't do synchronous communication from time to time. And letting people go is definitely a synchronous conversation. Absolutely critical that you do that either face-to-face or virtual face-to-face because you need someone. That's a failure One-to-one to one if it's virtual or out of interest? Absolutely, except if you need your attorney on the line or a third person to be able to talk. I mean, there's obviously the legal bureaucracy of going through something like that. Sometimes you need a third person. Yeah. But I mean, ideally, if if there weren't any legal issues, I would absolutely make it a one-on-one. And I would say, we're letting you go because of these reasons. And more specifically, we actually, on our exit interviews, talk about what we did wrong in that process, because I think it's a really good learning experience for the manager and for the executive team, particularly when you're letting someone go that's higher up in the organization. Because uh, when you hired that first person the first month, you thought that they were the best thing since sliced bread. 
I think it's a semi-bullshit, the whole, like, um, that people complain very strongly. So if you take a girlfriend-boyfriend situation when people get dumped by text, I just can't believe it, it's outrageous. Well, you go and meet them in person, you say, I don't want to be with you. They burst into tears and storm out the restaurant. Or they don't, and you're sitting there going, well, should we eat now? No, I'm not going to eat. I don't know why I'm here. It's like, well, uh, <laughs> I should have dropped you a text. Then you could have got over it, and then we could have had a cup of tea. So there's a bit of me that's a bit like with, with firing people. They would say, all their friends, can you believe it? They did it. They did. They just sent me a message. It's like, look, you're going to be really upset when you get this message. So when you've calmed down, let's have a cup of tea and talk about it. But dropping an emotional bombshell on someone, the room gets bigger. You don't know what to say. You're like, I, 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 I. you know, is that is that the polite way of doing it? It's just that they will say it would be impolite not to. Do you know what I mean? To be fair, I have to admit that I dumped my last boyfriend by text. Yeah. But the reason I did that was because I could not be asked to go round to his house. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was a bit of a distance away and I couldn't be fucked. But don't you think there's a little bit of an uh, illusion in that, that we feel it's like the brave thing to do, it's the proper thing to do? I mean, to allow them to cry in front of you? I mean, maybe a video that says, okay, if you now want to cry now, you may, because I'm not really here. <laughs> like <laughs> a virtual head. Yeah. He's crying now. <laughs> So I think there are some people that will take that quite well. Uh, I've been fired, actually, a lot of times. Um, I think that's one of the major reasons why I became an entrepreneur is because I needed to eat. And I've been fired from, man, fired within six months of pretty much every job that I've ever gotten or I've quit when they were going to fire me. And the reality is that I can take being fired quite easily, but there are other people that can't. And if you want to protect your Glassdoor ratings, if you want to be able to protect the process of, like when someone exits the company, I at least want them to be able to say, hey, it was a fair process. And I felt like you treated me with respect throughout that process. Oh, I mean, I am joking. It's like, I agree with that. That's the thing. You've got to respect humans. You've got to be brave. You've got to be sit there and allow them. But I just think, ironically, half the time, people would prefer to get the news, probably. And it's one of the worst things. I mean, I've had people that have been crying for 45 minutes. And, and obviously, I can't, like, they choose when to get off the call. It's not... When I choose to get off the call, obviously, but you that that's the reality of what you gotta do inside of a business is you've gotta you gotta let somebody go. I, I remember once actually there was a a woman that said, you know, I'm uh I'm a single mom, I've got two kids, all that kind of stuff. Like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And the reality is that it was the proper business decision. And you need to be able to stick to the proper business decision and just be disciplined in that. But I mean, it was heartbreaking. What's the biggest problem facing your business? Hiring, um, by far. So we've had a very unique situation, which is we have a couple hundred employees inside of our organization and tech companies that wouldn't go after us before because we were remote are now going after us because they can currently work remote. And it has been one of the biggest challenges that we've had um, over the last couple of quarters. We've had much larger tech companies go after little tiny guys like us because uh, they know that they can now hire those people remotely, which is super frustrating, but also generally a success of our mission. So we can't really be complaining that much about it. Yeah, you're going to have to get an office, hire people who only like offices, and then you'll stuff them <laughs> right up again. Uh, what's, right. What are you most excited about for your business Oh, just where remote work is going. The last two and a half years has been the biggest transition in work since the US revolution, as I've said before. And I think the next two and a half years are going to be as exciting. 
for remote work. So the beauty of it is that if remote work goes up, generally, I end up having a more successful business in some context. When COVID hit, I canceled our in-person conference and lost over half a million dollars. Um, but then my software companies went up by 200%, right? So it's just, it's a yin and yang type of thing. Swings it's always going to succeed. As long as remote work is up, I'm up. So I'm excited about that. And the conference is in person because conferences are better in person? Conferences are better in person and asynchronous remote companies meet in person at least once per year. We call it remote work retreats. So everyone comes to one particular location every single year. So we have all those team members in 43 different countries. We fly into one location. We're going to Dubai uh, this this one from in Canada. February. Oh, well, from <laughs> everywhere. From, from, from everywhere. Nigeria, from where, yeah, we're in 43 right, 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 different right, right, countries. Right, right. Andy's so thinking about the bill at this place. point. The, the, the cost for that is about two and a half million, but absolutely positive ROI. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ulri Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Ulri Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Ulri Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Oh, well, be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. That was one of the biggest things. There's probably something, and you guys being in the, the accounting space, you probably get this a lot, but... There's a thing that you should be doing, and it's, in, it's been in your head for a month, six months, a year. Maybe it's a conversation with your, maybe it's a conversation with your wife or your husband. Maybe it's, hey, I should really pay attention to that tax return that I didn't submit last year. Or, you know, maybe it's that I should let go of that employee that I've been thinking about over the last three months. The moment you do that, you feel better. The moment you do it, you the feel The funny better. thing is, it's always those kind of problem files or whatever that you put off and you put off. And when you finally get around to doing it, it takes five minutes. You're like, why have I put that off for like three and months? And it's magical. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I tell people this all the time that don't go to the gym. Uh, I said, just go to the gym. So I have this, this perspective that I give to people, which is you don't have to work out at the gym. You literally just have to walk in. So I tell people just walk in and out of the gym 30 times in a month. Go every day, just walk in, you know, beep your little tag there, and people feel amazing after they come back after 30 days. Because obviously, they don't just walk in and out every single day. Maybe they do two or three days out of that month. But it's that consistency that really allows for them to be able to get the endorphin feedback loop that really makes them successful. So what, they go in the gym... And they only, sometimes they just walk out. They don't exercise. They just go in yeah. and walk out. 
yeah, all you have to do is just walk in. What's the lowest, what's the minimum viable dose that you need to be able to consistently build a habit? Just walk into the gym. I totally get that because I, well, I don't go to a gym because I hate gyms and everything they stand for. But I <laughs> I will, sorry, but I do my, I, I, I ride my exercise bike every morning. Right, or I tried to do it every morning. Well, it's not Peloton or anything. No God no, it's just a bust. very tasteful exercise bike. Yeah, so some mornings I will get on it and I will literally cycle for five minutes and think, oh my fucking God, I just can't do this. Get off and go and have a shower. But at least I've sat on the bloody bike. Hey, that's you know. fine. Just just make a commitment to say, I will sit on this thing every 24 hours so it's the point of building a habit. It's the point that that a lot of the annoying things we do, like I, I have to do it, not get headaches, do a little bit of exercise or something. It's that once you've done it enough, you no longer go through a decision tree, which is the problem when you're deciding whether to do it or not. This is the secret to almost everything. Motivation is the launching pad for consistency. So motivation can only get you so far. If I'm motivated to do something, oh, I'm going to I'm going to um work with my bookkeeper every week and I'm going to stay ahead of all of those different expenses and I'm going to make sure that I'm dictating them all to my bookkeeper. This is a conversation that I have with a bookkeeper on a regular basis, right? As opposed to me just saying, "Listen, I'm just going to make sure that I can get in every day and that email that's always in my inbox, what is this thing that you bought, Liam? Can you give me the receipt for it?" I just do it. And it takes me five minutes, but then I build that consistency off of that motivation. Same thing with going to the gym. Anything that you need to be able to really build into a habit. Um, if you're, if you believe that motivation will always be there, it's never going to be there. Um, it's going to last for a very short amount of time. So motivation doesn't get you to do it. It's habit that gets you to do it. That's what you're saying. Motivation is the launching pad towards habit and consistency. So I'd much rather have a habit than be motivated to do something. Because if I already have the habit, oh, uh, it looks like I'm in the gym today. <laughs> I don't know how I got here, right? It's like, th- th- that's what you really need to be able to build long-term consistency. Top three reads, pods, records, whatever you want to do. You don't have to do three of anything, just, a, you know, a good pod, a good, good read, that kind of thing. Obviously your book, Yeah. So I would say probably number one would be running remote, which is uh, mastering the lessons from the world's most successful remote work pioneers, which is a fantastic Wall Street bestseller. Wall Street bestseller as of Thursday, which is fantastic. Uh, We just made it and we got ninth spot. So we'll see how we do next week. But so far I'm doing pretty well. And um, book, generally, I would say for business people, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. That is by far the best framework book. Forget about the actual tactics. It's how to think about building a business and how to build a business successfully. No better book written on that subject um, than that. And I would say another one that was really good that I read recently that I've reread now again is a book by John Dewar, Measure What Matters. (laughs) And that is a fantastic <laughs> I book. I know exactly where your brain went. <laughs> it's hard not to. He's clearly, he's clearly oh. not British, John. <laughs> no, I, 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 he must be American. If we can get over that part of it, it's a really fantastic no, book great. about how to actually measuring everything that truly matters. <clears throat> Um, it's sort of a it's sort of a quick quick guide for a woman there, you know. Any podcast recommendations? Uh, for me, uh, other than this podcast, obviously, 
One of the ones that I've been listening to recently actually is uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast. That's been a fantastic. Uh, yeah, so very good. He really breaks down issues to the nth degree. Me and my wife, he had this interview and he has a way of of <laughs> of asking questions that um the way that I would ask questions, not someone that is a little bit more charismatic and outgoing would ask questions. So, um he had a 2-hour podcast with this incredibly famous prostitute and would ask questions about like, what do men want? What kind of services do you provide to them? Well, what kind of music do you play? What sheets do you have on your bed? Like it was a really interesting podcast. Doesn't feel that that would cover two hours if 40 seconds. Well, no, and she went into the super, like she says uh, she wanted to, and she's bedded 20,000 clients um, throughout her career. Jesus so Christ, let me work she, out how um, old she is. Is that, is that 20,000 individuals rather than... Individuals, I on believe. A, on a kind of rolling basis, presumably. You'd have to do what? I mean, you'd only work four days a week, wouldn't you? 12, 12 a week, so it's about 52, 624 a year. 20, she must work very hard. <laughs> you're not going to do 12 a week you're going to do 32 like, years well she could be she could be 50 52 you're talking an hour right max 45 minutes and a quarter of an hour break early 50s I believe she was in her 40s and she said she was getting towards the end of her career no but you're calculating it wrong because it's like 45 minutes and a quarter of an hour break in between yeah, 12 a week. 12 a day. Um, <laughs> anyway. One other book that I would mention, by the way, is um, Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, which is really the theoretical framework for running remote. It is an deep work. It's the ability to be able to execute on work in a focused way. So you have everything at your disposal to be able to actually solve difficult problems inside of your company. And definitely for companies like yours, I think it's an absolute the amazing book to be able to to give your team. And this book, Running Remote, is really deep work applied at an organizational level. So deep work is for the individual and Running Remote is for the organization. When I became, at my last firm, I was managing partner for about three or four years. When I became managing partner, I gave, because all the other equity partners were men, so I just gave them all a copy of Lean In. Lean In. Oh. Is that is that the Don't Be a Sexist Twat book or something? Pretty much. Yeah, okay. Another really good one is uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott about really focusing on the differences between management and how to be, and particularly she focuses a lot on female management. So I give all female managers Radical Candor because they want to be able to, one of the biggest barriers I see towards women becoming world-class managers is they don't tell their direct reports that they did a shit job at something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come fucking completely. I mean, I once, in my last job, I, like, I'd, one of my assistants had done something and it wasn't just that she'd done it wrong, which would have been fine. It was just very clear that she hadn't made any effort at all or bothered, right? So I had her, I shared an office, but she came in and I... I thought I did a pretty good job of making it clear that I was really unimpressed and that she needed to go away and redo it. And she left the room and the guy I shared an office with looked at me and said, you know, she thinks you just told her you, she did really well, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you go, you fall over yourself to be nice. So one of the things that I do with Radical Candor, which I've learned, and, and Kim has ended up becoming a very good friend and, and a big supporter of the book, is uh, I give people a rating out of 10. At the very first thing that I say, this project 
it's a six, it's a four. And I'm actually truthful. So a five is the average. I'm not one of those bullshit artists. But radical candor is the concept that you should connect emotionally, like separate the bollocking from the emotional. Like, I like you as a person, you're a good person, but you did a shit. But you're shit. That, is that radical candor? Well, and, and more specifically, think about it in the context of if you had something in between your teeth or if your fly was undone, I would tell you very quickly, <laughs> hey, you've got something between your teeth or you know, the barn doors open. Like you need to, you need to fix that quickly, as quickly as possible. That's the concept of radical candor, which is, it's not firing someone. It's also being able to add in, not just a critique, but what are the actionable steps we need to take in order to be able to solve this problem? Because without actually just being radically candid with people and just making them feel bad, doesn't actually provide a solution to the problem. You need to actually provide action steps to say, here's how we're going to change the way that you write these reports. Uh, constructive criticism. Give someone constructive so criticism. So that was shit, but if you go away and read this or you focus on this bit and rewrite it to do X, Y, Z, it women, will be fine. Strange women are bad at punching downwards, apparently. Uh, because, well, no. I, Why? I no, because they, you kick ass at a peer level. I mean, I, I don't know a man who's in control in his house. Most women kick our asses around the building. I mean, I'm, there are, I'm sure, men out there. Maybe I hang out with all the pussies. But honestly, most of us <laughs> are like, uh, you know, I do what my wife says, you know. We're friends, uh, males would say, men, my friends would say, well, I better check what the boss thinks. Okay, so that brings us to the favourite part of the show. Um, this is the business versus bullshit quickfire round, Liam. You have been absolutely fascinating. So we're going to reel off some terms. You need to tell us whether it's business or bullshit. Are you ready? I'm all set. Okay, diversity quotas. Man, you, you just <laughs> kicked off the, some of the worst ones. Uh, it's bullshit. I think that it's bullshit, and here's why. I think true diversity is absolutely critical. I think that people hired because they're the best person for the job, I 100% support. When we hire people, we remove a lot of the sex, gender, and ethnic variables from an application, and we just end up hiring... I think we're about 65% women. As an example, uh, we've got an overrepresentation for LGBTQ. Um, we have a lot of trans team members inside of our organization, but they weren't hired because they were those things. They were hired because they're good workers. Yeah. Um, this one, I think we're going to fucking stuff this one up a tree soon. Uh, but let's, let's try it one more time. Stand up meetings. I mean, we don't have meetings, so uh, I don't like stand up meetings or anything. Caffeine. Oh, I'm off of it recently. I've been drinking decaf because it... Uh, so I go through these weird kind of up and downs where I'll be off caffeine for two or three months and then I'll have a cup of coffee oh. and I'll feel superhuman. Oh my God. Me too. Exactly. And the then same. three weeks later, I'm addicted to coffee again and I'm, I'm jittery and I'm just shaking and it's just like, oh man, you got to get off of this thing. So I think this is my fourth or fifth attempt at it. Uh, I think that, you know, 21 is okay. days, Liam, I heard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm on I'm on decaf right now. Um, that's okay. I drink tea. That's good. But the direct, you know, I used to be doing like the double espresso shots, and uh, I got got to get out of them. Meeting agendas. We need one. Oh, critical. No agenda. No attenda. Chapter eight. Vaguely rhymes. Almost. <laughs> um, hour long meetings. 
No, zero. Bullshit. So, hour-long meeting. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. You don't need an hour-long meeting. Even if you're in a synchronous meeting and you're meeting with everybody, it's usually two people doing 90% of the talking and the other eight people are doing 10% of the talking and just kind of, they're not even participating. They're just watching. They could all go home. We have a perspective that uh, if a meeting isn't valuable to you, just walk out of it immediately. Office dogs. Business or bullshit? Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 100% behind office dogs. Uh, I think that they're super cute, and particularly that one is fantastic. But in reality, are they distract? Well, you're not in an office, so you don't give a shit anymore. But when people are working from home, are you like lock lock that pooch up? He looks like he's on the mic. Oh no! For for us, it's like you live your own life. To me. I'm really focused on you getting work done. And if the dog augments your capability to be able to get work done, then let's do it. If it doesn't, then let's have a conversation about it. Carbon credits. So I'm personally pro. I don't think they're bullshit. And the reason why is I'm invested in two companies that are completely dependent upon carbon credits in order for their business model to work. Uh, Swearing in meetings fucking amazing. Uh, I love to swear in meetings. And sometimes you got to just figure out the energy of the actual meeting. Like you don't want to go in there and say like, fuck, this is bullshit. We're totally screwed for ABC. But I love swearing um, to the point in which HR actually told me that people have problems with me swearing so much in meetings. So I put out a memo saying, our company culture is that we can fucking swear anywhere that we want. And I'm not, you're not going to restrict my uh, ability to be able to say what I want as long as I'm respectful towards other people. And they, some people disagreed that that was not respectful. But um, since I run the company, I was able to basically take, yeah, I was able to solve that problem very quickly and easily. And a whole bunch of people actually liked it, by the way. I got a whole bunch of like, private DMs from people saying, yeah, you can fucking swear in meetings. Like, come on, let's just be real. Let's talk like we usually talk. Um, pub lunches, I guess. Bar lunches? I don't know. Do you have pubs in oh. Canada? Yeah, no, well, we have pubs in Canada because okay. uh, we're very, we're, we're much more English than, yeah. um, than American. Yeah, those sound fine to me. I, I mean, I, those aren't something that I like go out to have on a regular basis, but wherever you can fuel up, do it. Uh, B Corps. Oh, um, well, I think, yeah, it's bullshit. Correct. Ding. Uh, non-disclosure agreements. Bullshit. Complete bullshit. Correct. Particularly in the tech industry. So if you show me an NDA and you have an idea, fuck you. Like, go for a... Long walk off a short plank. I don't understand. When you think about the tech industry and tech startups, there's a really interesting internet meme, which is basically it shows you ideas versus execution. The best idea in the world is $20. The worst idea is a dollar. The worst execution in the world is a dollar. The best execution is $10 million. Multiply your idea times your execution, meaning... Your execution is what matters. Yeah, it's yeah. not your idea. Everyone else has your idea. If you think that you have a unique idea, you're a massive idiot because there are a thousand other people that have that idea. It's the person that executes on that idea is what differentiates the market. 100%. Unlimited holidays, vacations. Unlimited vacation. Uh, I'm of two sides <clears throat> on this one. 
to a degree, it's bullshit, but for the reasons that you wouldn't think. When people implement unlimited PTO, it's because they don't want people to take any PTO at all. So it's a big tax judge. So in a lot of countries, you have required amounts of days off, right? In Canada, as an example, there are legally, you are legally required to have so many sick days, so many mental health days, whatever it is. With unlimited days off, then it's like, oh, well, you've already, you've already used those up. And there's also this kind of weird ethical cultural issue where it's like, oh, well, it's unlimited PTO, but you really shouldn't be taking those days off. Days off are important to just disconnect from work and then get back into it. And I think that to me, if I issue 14 days of, you know, vacation time per year, I think you should take it. Um, LinkedIn. I just get spammed on LinkedIn. Um, I, I have an assistant that manages all of my LinkedIn, so I don't even have the login for it. Uh, there's lots of engagement on there. But it's all just people wanting stuff from me. And I generally, <laughs> I, I just, I find that super frustrating. And for that reason, I'm going to have to call it bullshit. <laughs> Formal work clothes. I actually do like getting dressed up nicely, um, even if it's, if it's for myself. <clears throat> so I'll wear uh, slacks from time to time. I wear Either I'm wearing slacks or I'm wearing jeans. Uh, I do wear actually the same general t-shirt every day, but a lot of times I'll wear a jacket. So I like dressing up nicely. Brexit. I mean, I think it's bullshit. I would hope that you maybe have a change of heart. Maybe that's permanent now and you can't actually reverse. I, I wish you could have had like two votes on it. Uh, Bitcoin. I'm pro. Uh, I don't... So cryptocurrency in general. Yeah, but Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Uh, bit, no, I'm, I got out of all my Bitcoin and I'm all on Ethereum now. NFTs. Bullshit. Complete and utter bullshit. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad we ended on a bullshit. That's it. That's the end of the quick fire round. Well, um, you got 312 points. Uh, you got a four out of 10 in uh, your language. So this is it, 30 seconds or, or less, to, you know, pitch a company, podcast, book, whatever you'd like to go um, and, and let them know where to find it. Sure. So Running Remote, Massive Lessons from the Remote Pioneers, recent Wall Street Journal bestseller. Uh, don't want to toot my own horn, but I am. I just Someone's did. got to. <laughs> <clears throat> it's uh, available on Amazon and, and all the other places where books are sold. But if you go to runningremotebook.com, that's the best place to be able to get more info on the book. And if you can't afford to go to the conference or buy a $22 US book, then you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash running remote, where we put all of our talks up for free. You can get a masterclass on remote work. When's the conference? The next one is actually happening in Europe, April 25th and 26th in Lisbon, Portugal. Very nice. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. And we'll be back with BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao.